right, go ahead and go to First Timothy tonight, chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. And before I mention what I'm going to be preaching about, I kind of want to do an introduction here. This is something I've I've mentioned some of these things recently. I was going back trying to figure out when I talked about this in my notes, and I couldn't find. It. I think it might have been in Sunday school, but we, um, you know, I was in Sunday school because we went through First Timothy. And there is a great lesson. I know I've mentioned I mentioned it in Sunday school. I think I mentioned it in one of the other services, but I'm going to mention it again tonight. This, if you can, there's a few concepts in here. If you grasp it tonight, if you understand it, it's going to help you understand a lot of things with the Bible. And we've been preaching the last couple of weeks on things concerning the family. And while we've been doing that, you know, just trying you know, real practical things that can kind of help with families. I've been trying to show too how. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that people are misusing greatly. And I want to, while I, we look at one lesson today that's very important, uh, I want to try to show too how it's important also that when we use the Bible and use the Old Testament, I believe in using the Old Testament. I believe, you know, the Bible says all those things that happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness, they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Those are examples for us that we are supposed to learn from those things. But there is a right way to apply those things and there's a wrong way to apply those things. And it's important that we do it right. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 3 it says, And I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, which is just random babble. Okay, just And people do. They talk about some weird things in churches sometimes. And they come up with some weird ideas. And you know what? I am 100% for a weird theory, alright? And just common conversation and and a good story. I love a good conspiracy theory. No matter how off the wall it is, I like it. But when it comes to what we preach, I think we need to avoid the vain jangling. Okay, you know, we got to be careful with that stuff. Uh, as, as entertaining as some of it is, but then desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And when it comes to a lot of these goofball preachers that are out there, you know, promoting a lot of weird stuff, teaching all these weird things. One thing that they all have in common is they all spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. And once again, nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, some of the biggest heretics I know just preaching ridiculousness in church today do almost all their preaching out of the Old Testament. And it's like, you people not realize there is a New Testament too. And you are misusing the Old Testament I mean, it's it's horrible what people are doing with the Old Testament. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about a lot of those things they do tonight, but they do. They act like they're these teachers of the law. They know all this Old Testament stuff. They know all these things about Jewish culture and Jewish way of life, and then they try to apply them to what we should do today, and it totally goes against things that we are taught in the New Testament. And they act like they're the smartest people in the room, and and they're not. They're deceivers. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know the law is good 
if a man use it lawfully. Alright, you notice, see that verse there? It's good if you use it lawfully. In other words, when you're reading the Scriptures, when you're interpreting the Scriptures, there are some rules that you need to follow. Okay, There is a way that you can use Scripture and you can twist things and you can make it fit what you want it to fit. And then there's a right way to do it. And unfortunately, many people are greatly misusing the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. And I just want to wring these people's necks sometime. And it's like, have you never read the New Testament? You know, when I listen to the way people interpret, like I think it's Genesis 12, you know, where God promised the land of Israel to Abraham and his seed. I just want to smack them sometimes and say, will you please read the book of Galatians? Okay? You cannot interpret the way, you know, Genesis the way people do. And when there's Galatians in the Bible, I mean, it's very clear. I think Paul's explanation of Genesis 12 is going to be more accurate than, you know, Dr. Pompous with the, you know, uh, PhD in eschatology. Alright? And unfortunately, though, people fall for this stuff. And the law is good, but you got to use it lawfully. The Old Testament is good, folks, but you got to use it in the right way. You've got to use it in the proper context. You can't just make it mean whatever you want you want it to mean. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious Gospel of the blessed God which is committed to my trust. Okay? So who is the law for? It's for wicked people. Okay? Now let's remember this. And we've talked about this before, but we've got to get this in our heads. If you, if you can understand this, you will be doing, you're going to be doing real good. And laws are made for bad people. Okay? Laws are made for sinners. Laws are made for the lawless. They are made for the wicked. Do you know why they are constantly making new laws in this country? They're not making them for because of good people. They're making them because of bad people. Okay? Every time there's a mass shooting, what do they want to talk about? We need new gun laws. Okay? And you know what? I would be for new gun laws if these laws were laws that would stop wicked people and lawbreakers. But they're trying to take laws and give them to good people and impose them on good people that aren't doing anything, that haven't hurt anybody, that never would hurt anybody. You know, They are tying the hands of good people and that's not what laws are for. Laws are for the wicked. Laws are for the bad. You know, we have someone here that works in a prison. And in prisons, you know what they do? They have to have walls around prisons. They have to have fences and they have to have guards and people with guns, don't they? You know why? Because they can't just put those people in there and they can't just you know, put them in one area with no walls and say, y'all aren't allowed to leave here. Now, why don't, they just, why don't they just pass a law in prisons? Why don't they just put them in a big area? They could save a ton of money. They don't have to have all the bars and all the technology and just say, it is illegal for you to leave here. Why don't they do that? Because these people are lawless. They're not going to listen. If they have a way to run away, they're going to run away. And so they have to do all those things. And they got all kinds of rules there. You know, they tell them when to go to bed. They tell them when to get up. They tell them when they can take a shower. They have to tell them every little thing, don't they? You know why? Because they're lawless people. 
And they, they need all those things. But you and I, okay, hopefully we don't. Hopefully we don't need all these things. And you know, there are things in the Bible that uh, there are laws in there that many times people will take these laws and make excuse. They'll say that things are good that clearly aren't. Okay, that I'm not not realizing that these Old Testament laws, many of them, it was a reflection of how wicked they were as a society. And God gave these things to try to control them, and they will take some of these Old Testament laws and use them in a wrong way, in an unlawful way, and it's not fair. And so, what you know, what am I talking about tonight? Well, what I want to talk about tonight is divorce. And I and the title of my message is "Divorce: An Expensive Lie." Okay, divorce: An Expensive Lie. And listen, I know divorce is big in our country. If you've been divorced, I'm not I'm not picking on anybody. But it's important that we know the truth about divorce. And I guess a way to kind of explain this, you know, everybody in here has made a purchase before that you greatly regretted, haven't you? Okay? We've all done that. We've all bought something we regret. We could all tell a story about something we purchased that was ridiculous that we should not have bought. It ended up costing us a lot more than we thought it was going to cost. And it ended up not being what we thought it was going to be. Okay, am I alone on that one? All right, we have all done that before. And you know, when we make a bad purchase, there's something that we all do. Okay, it's just it's human nature. First thing we do when you make a bad purchase, you live in denial for as long as you can. Okay, I mean, have you ever bought a car or something? You spend all this money, and after you've had it for a couple of days, you're like, something's not right with this car. And you, you, know, you hate to think, oh, did I buy a lemon? You know, did I spend too much on this? And, and you do, you kind of go into denial. You know, you act like this is good. Or maybe, you know, even something, just like some, you know, what guys, we like to buy our toys, don't we? You know, we all, we all get on women because they'll go and go nuts sometime and go shopping and maybe spend like $50 on an outfit. You know, where guys, Whenever we make a bad purchase, you know, it's like on a car or something that costs thousands of dollars, you know. And, and we do, we'll make these bad purchases, and you do, you try to, you try to convince yourself, no, this is okay, no, this, this, this car's running good. You know, everything, everything's fine. You know, we've all, you might remember the Andy Griffith where Barney bought that car from the woman, and it turned out it was a big piece of junk, and while he's driving, you know, he's, you can tell he's trying to ignore the fact this car is having all these problems because he doesn't want to admit he got taken in a deal. And we do, we live in denial. We act like, uh, you know, this is okay. And then sometimes, what we do, we, we justify the decision. We act like we had no choice. It's like maybe, maybe you buy that car and later you're just like, you know what, we spent way more than we should have spent on that. Have you ever done that before? You bought something? And then later, you know, you you kind of went and you saw it somewhere else, and it was way cheaper. But you were just you were so anxious, man. You got the bug, and you went and you spent that money, and you shouldn't have done it. And so we 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 try to justify it. You know, I, I had to get it then. Uh, you know, you you got to have good transportation. You know, you got to have safety. You've ever noticed whenever they're on car commercials. Whenever it's one that's supposed to appeal to a guy, they always have this tough talking guy, you know, talking about the power of the truck and all the things it's able to do. And then when it's, there's other ones that are like to appeal to women, and they always show, you know, the kids riding in there, and they're always talking about safety, and they have pleasant music playing, you know, it's like safety, 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 because that's how women think. 
And you know, we, you know, they they know how to control our minds with that stuff. And we do, and so you know, we'll just, oh, you know, my kids need to be safe. You know, you can't put a price tag on their safety. You know, and we do, we make we make excuses for, it. or sometimes we admit we goofed, we made a bad decision, and we work through it and we pay the consequences. You make those payments. You know, you make the best of an imperfect situation, okay? And we've all done that before. I got, I got to pay it off. I got to pay the interest. I got to pay whatever. But then there's another thing that people do sometimes. Sometimes when they realize they made a really bad purchase, they just run away from the consequences. They try to run away, you know, from the consequences and let someone else pay the consequences, which usually results in greater problems. And I'm talking about bankruptcy there. But you know what? I'm also in all these things. I'm talking about divorce, okay? Because here's the thing, you know. Sometimes people, you know, so you know that you get married, and you're going to find out that person you married isn't perfect. You're going to find out that person you married they come with some baggage that you weren't expecting, some things that you didn't realize. You can't possibly know a person very well before you get married. You just, you can't. My wife and I, we talk about it all the time. We were, she was, we were looking at some pictures just the other day, or yesterday I think it was, the day before, of right after we got married on our honeymoon. And it was like, you know what? We didn't know nothing about marriage yet. I mean, when we got married at 20, we thought we were in love. We thought we were ready to get married. And I'm not saying we weren't in love or we weren't ready to get married, but at the same time, now 15 years later, we didn't have a clue what we were getting into. We didn't have a clue about marriage. We didn't have a clue about love. Not a clue. And and I do. I look at people now, young people, and they're getting married, and it, and it's wonderful. I'm not criticizing them. They have. There's no way they can know. But they don't have a clue. You hear these young people all oh, were in love. No, they're not. <laughs> there is there is in love as they are capable of being, but they haven't got a clue of what they're about to enter into. And you know what? Unfortunately, many people today, when they do, when they get married, that happens. Sometimes they, they're like, you know what? I kind of regret this decision. And many of them, they make the best of it. They work through it. They figure it out. And they make the best of an imperfect situation. You know, not everybody that gets married was meant to get married. Okay, there are sometimes people they make bad choices. Not, but then there's other people they try to run away from the consequences. You know, they they want to run away from it. They want to abandon their responsibilities. You know, what are they supposed to do? How are you supposed to handle it if you make a bad decision? Okay, and many people think, well, divorce. That's what you got to do. And you know what? Many people sometimes they try they attempt to use laws in a corrupt way to benefit themselves financially. They'll do that with the bankruptcy laws. Hey, I'm going to use these laws so I can get these people off my back and not deal with my consequences. And sometimes people will use the law of God in an unjust way to justify their actions. Things like divorce. You know what? I, you know what? Don't don't ever come to me and use this term because it just makes me mad. I won't jump on you if you do. I won't start yelling and screaming at you. I'll probably look. I'll have a nice, pleasant look on my face. But it makes me mad when people come up to me and they say biblical grounds for divorce. I just want to pull their hair out when they say biblical grounds for divorce. It's like, and I've called people out before when they've said that. I was like, so can you please tell me what the biblical grounds were? 
And then they'll just start telling me this off-the-wall stuff and nobody gives me a Scripture. Nobody has ever given me... All the people that have had their biblical grounds for divorce, no one's ever given me the Scripture on it. And they, because there are, there are none. And, but there are things people use, and we're going to look at it in just a minute. So you know, what does it mean when he says, the law is good if a man use it lawfully? Okay? That means, you know, and one commentary said, to use the law lawfully, it means in a proper manner for the purposes for which it was designed. It is intended to occupy a most important place, but it should not be perverted. Paul asked only that it should be used aright, and in order to, to this, he proceeds to state what is, a tr- what is the true design. And there is. There's a proper way to interpret stories from the Old Testament and a perverted way to interpret them. Okay, for example, uh, look at Exodus chapter 21 and verse 20. And I've showed this before, but this is important to look at it again. Exodus chapter 21, verse 20, and it says, And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. So right here, I can show you all from the Old Testament that it is okay to beat your servant as long as you don't kill them. Old Testament law, folks. It's okay to have slaves and it's okay to beat them as long as you don't kill them. Now, you all know there's something wrong here. Okay? Is God saying in here that He is okay? You know, is God giving a stamp of approval in here on slavery? Is God giving a stamp of approval here? He says, no, He said His servant or His maid, even a female. If you have a female slave, it's okay to beat her as long as you don't kill her. Is that what is that what we are supposed to get from this? I'm here to tell you that that is using a law unlawfully. God gives laws to He gave this law to a wicked people. God, when God gave the laws about slavery, God was not saying I am okay with slavery. God was giving those laws about slavery because these people had slaves and they needed they weren't about to get rid of their slaves. And he's like, okay, if you're going to have slaves, here are some rules. You're not, you cannot kill them. Okay? And y'all think, well, no, there's more than that. But no, there's lots of laws that were in the Old Testament that weren't necessarily what God wanted. And one of them was divorce. We're going to look at that in a little bit. Divorce was legal in the Old Testament, but it was never God's intention. It was never God's plan. We see in the Old Testament, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, that's not what I want you to do. But that was legal in the Old Testament, wasn't it? And just because something was legal in the Old Testament doesn't even mean it's right for us to do today. And to take those things and use it that way, it is perverting the law. It's using the law unlawfully. And laws that are made for a society, they are a reflection of the type of people in that community and their problems. Okay, and you know, look at the law. Look at all these laws they're making today. Okay, why are they making all trying to make all these gun laws? Okay, because we have mass shootings all the time. We hear about them all the time. Why are they making all these laws? You know, trying to figure out what to do on the immigration thing and what to do on our borders because we have terrorism today. Okay, all these laws they're trying to make in our society it ought to cause us to you know repent as a nation. When we see the laws that are being made, I mean, it ought to drive us to our knees. It, it's a reflection of how bad off we are. I was reading this one thing. These are rules that were in the schools 
1872. And these are the school rules. Listen to this. Respect your schoolmaster. Obey him or her and accept his or her punishments. Well, man, now they're not even allowed to punish the kids, are they? Do not call your classmates names or fight with them. Love and help each other. Never make noises or disturb your neighbors as they work. Be silent during classes. Do not talk unless it is absolutely necessary. Do not leave your seat without permission. No more than one student at a time may go to the washroom. At the end of class, wash your hands and face. Wash your feet if they are bare. Bring firewood into the classroom for the stove whenever the teacher tells you to do this chore. Go quietly in and out of the classroom. If the master calls your name after class, straighten the benches and tables, sweep the room, dust, and leave everything tidy. And then when called upon, students will stand beside their desk and look at their teacher. Girls will curtsy and boys will bow at the waist and they will repeat the teacher's proper name. Students should practice the technique. If a child does not know a name, Madame or Sir, Mistress or Mister is used. Yes, Sir or No, Madame. That's school rules back then. Now they got these handbooks that have all these details for all these things that they, you know, can and can't do. You know why they got to keep making new rules all the time? Because of all the wickedness going on in schools today. Because of all the guy and girl problems that are going on in schools today. Because of all the drugs being brought into schools. I, I see policemen going into schools all the time. I, I don't know if it's. There's, I'm always seeing policemen going to school across the street here, and I don't know what can be happening there. Those are little kids in there. Maybe it's for something else, but I'm always like, why is the police always going in there? But it's not uncommon for police to get called to school these days. It happens all the time. They're constantly making new rules, and that shows just how bad things are. And people, they, they need to repent. And many of the Old Testament laws... The things that were brought up, you know, laws about slavery. You know, why did they why did they have to put a law in there that you can't kill your slave? Because these people were so wicked, they had slaves and they would kill their slaves. They would beat them till they were dead, and so they had to make a law about that. You shouldn't have to make a law about that. You shouldn't have to tell people you can't shoot other people. People ought to just know, but wicked people don't. And so there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are like that, that when you look at it, you're like, whoa, was God okay with slavery? You know, was God okay with multiple marriages? You know, was God okay with it? No, He was never okay with those things. And it's very clear, too, when you go to the New Testament. But all these people who act like scholars, they're always wanting to use the Old Testament and they use it to justify wickedness. And so let's look at the bill of divorcement. This is another great example of something that was legal, but it was something that was never it was never right, it was never what God intended. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 it says notwithstanding or when a man hath taken a wife and married her and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go to be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be, uh, which took her to be his wife, uh, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Okay, so it's 
basically what the bill of divorcement was for. If a man took a wife, and there's other places in the Old Testament where it gets a little more specific, and he found out she was not a maid. He found out she was not a virgin. And there was ways they would find out. We're not going to go into all the details of it. Then he was able to divorce her right then. That was the way it was intended. That's way it says. Uh, well, uh, go to Matthew or Mark chapter ten. Mark chapter ten, because Jesus mentions this. Because uh, you may remember the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they asked him if it was okay to divorce their wife or put away as the, the term that was used for any cause. Look at Mark chapter ten and verse two. And it says, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, "Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife?" Tempting him. You see, even the Pharisees knew that divorce was bad. They knew deep down it was bad. However, it was legal, wasn't it? It was in the Old Testament law. We just read about the bill of divorcement, didn't we? And they're thinking if Jesus says it's okay, well, he's going to look bad because everybody knows divorcing is bad. Everybody knew it deep down. But if he says it's not okay, Jesus is speaking out against their law. And that's why they, that's how they were tempting him. But once again, Jesus was always too clever for him. And he answered and said unto them, "What did Moses command you?" And they said, "Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away." And Jesus answered and said unto them, "For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh." So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Okay? He makes it very clear God was never okay with divorce, but He gave them the bill of divorcement, didn't He? Out of the hardness of their heart. Okay? And just because it was legal then, it doesn't mean it was right. And once again, you treat the Old Testament like you're supposed to, yeah, we see that God allowed divorce. It was legal. But God never wanted it to happen. It was proven by the fact... It was proven in Eden when He made one woman for one man and said they are one flesh. Okay? And what God joined together, let not a man put asunder. It, was very, it should have been clear. And then notice in verse 10, and in the house His disciples asked Him again of the same matter. I can just picture the disciples. Whoa, what? You're not allowed to divorce your wife when you want to? You know, and notice too. You know, back then, okay, and then, you know, you women livers are going to hate this. But, you know, <laughs> the man could put away his wife, but you don't see the wife putting away the husband. Okay, it was something that the man did to the wife. Oh, that's not fair, you know. But well, that was the law back. That was the law back then. God, God didn't even like it. But you know, the disciples they asked him, and he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So right there, it's, it's adultery if you do that. Okay, so don't don't do that. And he mentions a woman doing there, but in the Old Testament, you don't ever. I don't. I can't. I could be there, but I don't. I can't think of where it says a woman can put away her husband. Maybe they change it then. Yes. Well, it's still adultery. Yeah, it'd still be adultery. In fact, we're going to cover too if there's a situation where there's an unbelieving. Okay, and understand, divorce uh, and adultery—they're always sins. Okay, 
But at the same time, they are, you know, God can forgive you, and you can go on and be a Christian and still go to heaven, okay? <laughs> yeah. But uh, at the same time, we don't want to use the fact that something is legal and try to apply it and say it's okay. And that God is for it, God's pleased with it, you know, it was God's will that I dump my wife and marry this other person. No, it wasn't. It was always God's will for people to stay get together. And we'll show you a few more things on that here in just a little bit. But, you know, what do we have from the Old Testament to prove that God intended one man and one woman for life? And He makes it clear it was right there in Genesis. Okay? And that goes to the message I preached a while back on following the least commandments of God. Okay, God doesn't want to have to spell every little thing out for us. Many things we go off principles in the Old Testament. We go off principles in the Bible. You know how God made things. He made one woman for one man. They were to be married till death do them part. Very important thing. But not only that, you know, and people always bring up too, you know, what about all the people in the Bible that married all those women, that had all those multiple wives? Why didn't God ever do anything about that? Why did you know? It seems like God was okay with it, and no, God was never okay with it. And it's clear, even though it was not illegal, it's clear it was not illegal to have more than one wife in the Old Testament. It was very clear that it was not illegal to have illegal, but it was always wrong. Okay, and we and once again, when you look at the New Testament, that's very clear. And you know, proof of that. So where was the proof? Well, what about Abraham? Okay, he had Sarah, and and then Hagar, and what what was the result of that? Well, that's where the Muslims came from, isn't it? I mean, just look at all the trouble that Abraham had, and look at all the trouble the world's still having because Abraham had a child with another woman. Abraham took another wife. You know, look at Jacob; he married sisters and then had children too with their handmaids. And look at all the problems that they had. The sisters were adversaries with each other. All the drama that he had to fight. I mean, Jacob literally had sister wives, didn't he? You know, I know that's a thing that the Mormons thought they came up with, but Jacob did it first, didn't he? And, and, you know, and then later in the Old Testament, in the Law of Moses, God made it illegal to marry sisters. God told him too, if you take another wife, you are not to take one that was near of kin. You were not allowed to marry sisters like that. That was a law that came later. But David, I mean, David, he married multiple women too. And you know what kind of problems David had? David had literally deadly fights with his children. You had the story of Amnon and Tamar. You know, he raped his own sister and then her brother, her full brother, Absalom, got mad and killed Amnon, didn't he? I mean, literally deadly fights going on with the kids. You I mean you think that sounds okay? You think is that a life that you want? You literally want your kids killing each other? Well, you know what? Go have multiple, you know, kids with multiple women, and there's going to be multiple problems, especially if you have them all in the same house, like David did. It doesn't work. It didn't work in the Bible. It didn't work for great men like David. Look at Solomon. His wives turned his heart to other gods, didn't they? I mean, he's building groves to these false gods. He's offering sacrifices to other gods. Solomon did that. Why? Because he loved many strange women. I mean, it's just all over the Bible, multiple wives always resulted in bad things, but yet because it never said in the Old Testament, thou shalt only marry one wife or you're going to die, people are like, well, God didn't have a problem with it. No, it's very clear He had a problem with it. It's very clear that God was not 
okay with it. And the only thing God gave in the Old Testament that showed that we should marry one person, it was the principle of creating one man and one woman. And it's very clear in, Mar- in Matthew chapter 19. This is kind of the same thing we looked at before, but I want to uh, show you in another Gospel. And it says in verses um, 3, "...and the Pharisees came tempting Him and saying unto Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause?" And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that which he made them at the beginning made them male and female? It's like, didn't you read Genesis? I mean, at the beginning of the Bible, you haven't you read that? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Whereas they, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh, but therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why didn't Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another. Notice how he puts that part in there. Except it be for fornication. And people will say, well, they committed adultery on biblical grounds. There's a difference between adultery and fornication. Bible says, except be for fornication, and that was if, and fornication is a relationship before marriage, and that was if that man married her, and it turned out she was not a virgin, then he was allowed to divorce her legally. And so, don't, do not come to me and say on biblical grounds they committed adultery. That's still not in the Bible. Okay, it says except be for fornication, that's different. Okay. And so, don't, uh, so understand that. And, but the principle was there. And sadly, today people have fallen for the lie. And this is where I want to get to the, you know, the you know, divorce, just an expensive lie. It's this lie that divorce will make things better. Okay? All right. You made a bad purchase, to put it in a terrible way. All right. Yeah. You, know, you have some regrets. You know, there there's some problems. You know. I, but divorce won't make it better. That is the lie that people need to get. They need to understand. And if someone has an unhappy marriage, the solution is not divorce because here's the only thing divorce does. All divorce does is break up a marriage. And listen to this. Get this, folks. All right, Get this and be enlightened. Be head and shoulders above the rest of the world. Marriage is never the problem. Okay? Marriage is never the problem. The problem in marriages is not the fact that the people are married. It's not the fact that they weren't a perfect match or anything like that. The problem in marriages today is sin and lawlessness. Okay? The problem in marriages is sin and lawlessness. And marriages are bad today because couples, many times, they, they have no purpose in life. There, there's no communication. Okay? A lot of times people, they have a communication problem in their marriage. And they're thinking, we're just not connecting. You know, we don't fit. We're incompatible. And so what do they do? I want to go get it. I want to find a new husband. Many times marriages are bad today because of a dormant physical relationship. Okay, First Corinthians chapter seven, verse five. And I'm not going to. I don't want to go into detail on this night. We have kids in here, but I'm telling you right now, you need to work on the physical relationship in your marriage. That is so important. It is key. 
And I'm telling you, if you don't have that right, your marriage is not going to go good. And you got to figure it out. You got to work it out. And marriages are bad today because of things like pornography. Pornography is destroying marriages today. It's twisting people's mind. It's messing up their. Uh, it's giving them wrong expectations. It's a uh, false reality. It's false reality, and it is ruining people. It is warping minds. It is turning people into perverts. And I'm telling you right now, many marriages have fallen apart today. And marriage wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't the matchup. The problem is that people are bringing sin and stuff into their life that's destroying them. And pornography will do that. Marriages are bad today because of financial foolishness. They're under so much financial stress because they're never content with anything. They're spending more than they're making and it's causing problems. Marriages are bad today because of covetousness. Okay? It's not coveting to just want something and you know to want a nice car, but it is covetousness and it is wrong when you want something that is not yours and that you are not supposed to have. And if you're wanting another man's wife, if you're wanting someone that you are not married to, that's covetousness. You're not allowed to do that. If you do that, your marriage is going to stink. Your marriage is going to have problems. But the problem, once again, it's not the marriage. Marriage isn't the problem. It's sin that's the problem. Marriages are bad today also because of drugs and alcohol. It says in Proverbs 23, verse 31 to 33, it talks about not looking on the wine. When it's moveth itself and all, it says, you know, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. And people today's marriages are being ruined because of infidelity and things, a lot of times while under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And once again, the marriage wasn't the problem. The matchup wasn't the problem. It's sin that's the problem. And if you are a person that has all these things in your life, your marriage is going to stink no matter who you're married to. And you just going and finding somebody else to marry, it is not going to work. This type of sin does not work in any marriage. If you are that lawless that you are doing all these things, understand that you're the one that laws about divorcement were written for. It's not that God wants it to happen. Okay, you know what else is legal in the Bible? Death penalty. Okay, but does God want you to get killed? Okay, does God want everybody dying and everybody getting killed? No, He wants us to repent of our sin, doesn't He? He wants us to get right. But you know what? You know, in our society today, I'm not saying. You know, I think we ought to have the death penalty. Some people need it. It'd be better off if they would just get right. I'm not saying that we should make divorce illegal in this country because there are some people that are so wicked they would take advantage of that and they would abuse their wives in terrible ways and do terrible things. I'm not saying that we should ban these things in our country, but don't ever say that God's okay with it and that it's biblical. These things, these things all divorce does is it breaks up a marriage and what people need to do is just get right. And I look, I read one study online. It was saying basically the main causes of divorce, and it went right exactly along with my outline. The 43% of divorces is just basic incompatibility. We don't get along. We just weren't meant for each other. 28% infidelity. Uh, 22% money issues. Uh, emotional and physical abuse, 5.8%. You know, parenting issues. Uh, argument, uh, addiction, alcohol, only 0.5%. But all these things were things that I mentioned 
But here's the thing, basic incompatibility. Okay? In my own marriage, so we, we talk about this all the time, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. We didn't know each other at all. Now, we thought we did. We knew each other as much as we were capable of knowing each other. We were clueless. We were 20 years old. Okay? We were 20. We were kids. And I do. I look back when we got married and I just laugh sometimes. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. I thought I knew it all. I mean, I thought, man, you know, she is lucky to get me. You know, I'm going to be that great of a husband. No, I, I, well, maybe I did think that. But I'm telling you, didn't have a clue. We both had our issues. We both still have some issues. But you know, one thing that we did have going into that marriage is when we got married, it was for life. And so whenever conflict started happening, and it's going to happen, you know what we were forced to do? We were forced to deal with it. We were supposed we were forced to work through it. And we had to you know, figure each other out. You know, when it came to you know everything, you know, from you know, just you know, you learn things that you don't you're just not supposed to say. There are just certain things that you don't bring up. You know, in my house, man, if I if I can't find clothes because wife's behind on laundry, man, I figure out something else I can wear. Because <laughs> you don't bring that up. You know, there's those hot button things, aren't there? And you know, I can I can push those buttons, but if I do, it's 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 game on. It's wartime. I mean, it, it, it's going to be bad. All right. You know, you don't you don't complain about the food. You know, you don't say things like "Mom made it this way," or you know, you don't you, you all know those things that you're not supposed to do. But you know what? Many times, people they're just unwilling to work through anything. They're stubborn. They get buyer's remorse, and they just want out. And they're not they're not willing to change themselves. They're not willing to work on any of their own problems, they think it's going to be better if I get divorced. And it is never better. All you do in divorce is break of a marriage. Marriage is not the problem. Marriage is good. Marriage is honorable and all. The bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Everyone would be better if they would just figure out how to work together. If they would just go ahead and get along. But people aren't doing that. People, and you know, when... I mean... So, you know, everything. You know, we didn't have a clue what we were doing financially. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. You know, and even in the physical relationship, you know, we just got married. We don't know each other. But over time, you know, you learn and things get better and better. But if you have this mindset, I can do better somewhere else, you're not going to work on those things. You're not going to work through it. And I'm telling you, you know, I know there's people in here that have been married a lot longer than I have, and I'm not a betting person, but I'd be willing to put money down to say that you know it wasn't always sunshine and roses in the marriage. That you probably had your uh, your share of fights in the past, you know, and uh, things that you had to work through, and issues that you had. I've, I've heard many I've heard many couples talk about you know the problems that the husband used to have or the problems the wife used to have, and you know, and it's but they worked through it, didn't they? Because that's the right thing to do. That's what God expects. And unfortunately, people aren't doing that. People are so they're just they're just so selfish, thinking only of themselves, and they believe this lie. You know, they see it on TV all the time. People get divorced all the time on TV and 
you know, they remarried and the couples all get along good and the kids don't turn out messed up and, you know, nobody has any problems with it. I mean, it happens all the time in Hollywood, right? You know what? And, you know, and in Hollywood, guys wear tights and fly. Alright? But, it's not reality. It's not the real thing. People, they need to understand that they just, they need to stay married. And, but, everybody wants that escape hatch. And if they would just work through it, it would be better. And nobody ever wants to stop and say, what does God really think about divorce? They see that bill of divorcement in the Bible and then they run with it, but yet they'll ignore Malachi chapter 2. Go to Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. Do you want to know what God really thinks about divorce? Because this is in the Old Testament too. Malachi 2.11 says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this. The master of the scholar of the tabernacle of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. That wife of your youth. Your, basically, your first wife. Okay, that's the one. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that He hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied thee? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? See, but God hates putting away. He hates it. Putting away divorce. It's the same thing. Nobody wants to read that verse. And yet, I have had people, you know, tell me how, you know, oh, I just feel so blessed, you know, the Lord, uh, for, you know, He brought this new lady in my life. And they'll, they'll talk about their divorce like God did it. And they'll keep blaming God. And they'll keep, you know, people in their first marriage, and I'm not saying you have to try to be all spiritual when you get married. And if, if you know, you young people, when you find that one, I'm not saying don't talk spiritual and say, I'm so thankful God brought this person in my life and I'm so glad God got us together and inserting God into everything. But you know what? People don't usually do that with their first wife, but everybody does with their second one. I'm just so thankful God brought them in my life. She's such a blessing. I'm just so glad to know that it's God's will that you know we spend the rest of our lives... And they, they keep bringing God up all the time. And it's like... No, that that's not how that works. And just like here, you know, you've wearied the Lord with your words. Don't you hate when people put words in your mouth? Don't you hate when people say that you said stuff that you didn't say? And you know what? God hates it too. It wears them out and it wearies him. And God hates divorce. So why again then did God make a bill of divorcement? Okay? And here's the thing divorce at least gives people the opportunity to get right and get back together. Okay? And the only other alternative 
It, you know, how can we fix these problems? Okay, because God does. He hates divorce, and it's clear too. If a person gets divorced, it's okay for them to remarry as long as one of them didn't go and marry someone else. Then it's an abomination. The Bible says if that happens. But here's the thing. You know how we can fix the divorce problem? Is we can either just let people get divorced and stay unmarried, or if one of them commits adultery, then we can just start putting them to death if they get divorced, right? Is that what we want? But because here's the thing: if we would start stoning people for divorce, it would end tomorrow, wouldn't it? Because if people were going to get stoned if they got divorced, they would figure out how to work through the problem, wouldn't they? Now, I am not saying we should do that. I do not believe God wants us to do that. But would that not fix the problem? Doesn't stoning fix a lot of problems? There's still countries they do stoning, and they don't have a lot of these problems. Okay, just like they don't in Jordan, they don't have drunk driving problems because if you get caught drunk driving, you get shot dead right there by the police, and it fixes the problem. So, is that what we need to do? Well, actually, in Second Peter three nine, we see I think one of the reasons God did give the bill of divorcement is it does it gives people a chance to get back together. Second Peter three nine, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Okay, God wants to give people a chance to get right. God wants to give people a chance to get back together. Uh, real quickly, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. And it says, And unto the Mary I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Okay, This is clearly... God does not want them doing that. But you know what? Sometimes people leave. Sometimes the other spouse leaves and there's nothing you can do to stop them. But you know what? Let them remain unmarried. That way, maybe they'll get back together. Maybe they'll get right. Verse 12, "...but to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let them not put her away. If one's married to a lost person, don't divorce them. Stay together. And the woman without the husband that believeth not. And if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. If, they st- if you're married to a saved person and you're lost, you're more likely to get saved than if you're married to a lost person. So stay together. It could end up working out good. It says, but if... Um, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. Sometimes there's going to be that unbelieving, or maybe even one that says they're saved, that they just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm out. And they, they're going to leave. And we can't stop them. Okay? we got to let them go. But understand, if that happens... The goal is what God wants is for them to remain unmarried, and maybe they'll come back together. Maybe they'll get it right. Marriage, clearly in the Bible, it is you know it was is a permanent thing, and everybody has things they're going to have to work through. There are no there are no perfect couples. There are no two people that are perfectly compatible. Okay, marriage is going to change people. Okay. And if it doesn't, there's going to be a lot of conflict in that marriage. There's things that you have to work through, and you just if you go in with a with a mentality 
that I can get out of this. You're just going to make it worse. And I'm telling you, divorce, it's an expensive lie. It doesn't make anybody's lives better. And it does. It, co- it literally costs a fortune. The only people who win in divorce are lawyers. It costs thousands of dollars. I can't believe... I'm learning more and more about divorce, unfortunately, because of all the divorces that are just going on and talking to people going through them. And I'm learning about all these people involved in divorces. You know, the judges, the lawyers, and all these different kinds of lawyers. They've got lawyers for the kids. They've got, uh, I mean, just all these. I can't believe how many people are involved in these things. And how much goes into it. It's a mess. Okay, there's all kinds of laws with divorce, that are, and they're different from state to state. And you know what? I don't know what these laws are, most of them, and I don't care to know. And the truth is, I don't need them. You know why? Because I'm keeping these other things out of my life that the Bible talks about. And if you will keep sin out of your life, if you are a married couple and you are living in sin, your marriage probably isn't going to work. But if you will get right with God and keep sin out of your life, you'll be able to make it work. And you won't need a bill of divorcement. You won't need those laws. Those laws are made... For the wicked. I don't need them making gun laws for me. I've never shot anybody. I have no intention of shooting anybody. I don't need those laws. Those are, those are for the bad people. You know what? Let Chicago make all their stupid laws they want to make because Chicago is a nut, nut house. Chicago is full of wicked people. I mean, it's a, it's a jungle out there. I mean, people are dying all the time. Let them make whatever laws they want, but don't put those laws out here. We're not doing those things in Rock Falls. That stuff's not going on around here. We don't need those laws. And we shouldn't need those laws. And the bill of divorcement, it was given to a wicked people that were very hard of heart, but it was never what God God intended. It was not what God wanted. And people that try to use that in the Old Testament to justify divorce, they are using the law unlawfully. They're using it deceitfully. And let's not do that. Let's look at the intent of that law. And the intent from the beginning was one man, one woman for life. That's all there is to it. So let's stand together right now.